invite you to turn with me uh, to the book of Judges. Our Old Testament reading will be our sermon text this morning as we continue walking through some of these early portions of the Bible. Last week we were introduced to Samson, God's Riddler, the Sphinx, also Israel's Deliverer. You'd be hard-pressed to find a more colorful character than Samson. He began well, but how will he finish? That's the question we have for him today. How will he finish? Well, we'll turn to Judges chapter 16 uh, to find that out. And as we turn there, would you please pray with me? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have given us your word, which is living and active. And as you have searched us, you know us. You know where we lack. You know our need. Would you fill us with your spirit? Open our eyes to behold Christ more clearly in and through your word, that we might be conformed into his image from one degree of glory into the next. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're just jumping right in here to the middle of the book of Judges here. Um, the Philistines are the enemies of Israel at this time. Remember, Philistines are descendants of Egypt. So if you're picturing Philistia, you can think, well, this is in Egypt, just a little further north. And for years during Samson's lifetime, Philistia has been plaguing Israel. God's chastisement for his rebellious people. But then God raises up Samson, who is led by the Spirit, to be a plague upon the Philistines. So what we saw last week is that as Samson was called by God, he was, uh, he was to marry a Philistine woman, confounded the Philistines with riddles, and Samson goes on to crush the enemies or the heads of God's enemies. In verse 31, we learn of, of our passage, we learn that Samson was faithful and served the Lord, judging Israel for 20 years. Formed in the spirit, Samson was formed by trial. He was forged in that fiery trial. He becomes God's crusher of heads, right? That's what we're going to be looking at today. Is Samson continuing to be faithful to crush the heads of the offspring of the serpent? Remember the prophecy given to Adam and Eve under the curse? That the offspring of Eve would one day crush the head of the serpent. And so we have that imagery here. But the, ser the, the, the offspring of, of Eve will only crush the serpent's head as long as he gives himself sacrificially into the service of the Lord for the good of others. Will Samson continue in this way? At the end of chapter 15, we have this, verse 20. And he, Samson, judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Now that usually comes at the end of a, a judge's lifetime. That's, that wraps up, that ties a bow around their ministry. But we have another chapter after this, don't we? says the same thing at the end here, but you kind of wonder, he's done pretty well so far, this Samson. Maybe not the route we would have imagined, but he's done pretty well. He's been pretty faithful. What's this next chapter hold? Will he be faithful to the end? So chapter 16, beginning at verse 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah, and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him. To bind him, to humble him, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. I think we begin to see the fall of Samson right here. This is the third woman which Samson uh, unites himself to, the first one he was married to. 
We see that the first woman was a Philistine woman from Timnah. And this was according to God's will. Chapter 14, verse 4 said that he married this Philistine according to God's will. Okay? So that's, he was being obedient in that supposed marriage. Now what we see at the beginning of our chapter, verses 1 through 3, is that he goes to the Philistine city of Gaza. And there he sees. He sees a, a prostitute. And he goes in to her. Samson takes a harlot from the enemy land, the territory of Philistia. And the text says nothing here about God commanding this. We do see God delivering Israel through this action still. Samson tears down the gates of Gaza, symbolizing the power of God over the Philistine gods. The gates of their cities are wide open, and their gods could do nothing about it. Okay. So, kind of questionable there. Now we get to this third woman. He's not married to Delilah. God doesn't command Samson to take Delilah. And whether she's part of Israel or Philistia, we don't really know that. But she certainly has the heart of a Philistine person. So you have the lords of the Philistines coming up to her. That's five main cities, so they have five lords. And they come up and they offer her 1,100 pieces of silver of, 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 of a lord there. So she's got a total of 5,500 pieces of silver if only she would betray God's anointed one. Does that sound like a familiar story? God's Messiah betrayed for silver? So we have this imagery here of God's Messiah delivering his people and his own people turn on him and betray him for the price of silver. Chapter 16, verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Okay, so right there, as the reader, you're kind of like, well, this doesn't seem like a good idea. Right? Verse 7. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings they they, that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. He sought to confound the Philistines in his first marriage with that riddle. And here he might be doing the same thing. He does seem to be like a cat here, toying with a mouse, doesn't he? Is the text here giving us clues that Samson might be playing with fire as he enters into this game? He's been given God's sevenfold spirit repeatedly throughout his ministry. Of, of all people in the scriptures, it says this more about Samson than any other character, that he was filled with the spirit. The spirit rushed upon him, the sevenfold spirit. And here, Samson uses this number seven. If they tie me with seven fresh bowstrings, my strength will be as any other man. Complete bondage is what he's saying. Is that the thing? Complete bondage of God's spirit-filled, God's anointed one? He seems to be enjoying himself a little bit here, doesn't he? It's a game that he seems to be contriving. Verse 8, then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now, reader, did you see that coming? Right? Verse 9, uh, now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, but he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. We have Samson deceiving the tyrant. This is a theme throughout Scripture, isn't it? See, these are the first of Samson's three deceptions here, and it seems to serve him fine. He's delivered by God's strength once again, and the enemies learn nothing of where his strength 
comes from. But you'll wonder here, maybe has Samson forgotten where his strength comes from? Why is he just toying with the enemies? Verse 10, then Delilah said to Samson, behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me where, how you might be bound. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and like any other man. You wonder, don't you, why Samson is playing this game? If he is to be Israel's judge, if he is to be their deliverer, why doesn't he wait for the enemies to show up in that room so that he can destroy them? That's been the modus operandum so far. He's been destroying the enemies when they show up. Here, the enemies are in the other room, and, and, and Delilah calls for the enemies to come in, but Samson doesn't rise up to, to deliver Israel and to crush the enemies. He's playing a game. For a second time, he breaks free in verse 12, but the enemies escape. He continues to use deception to defeat the tyrants, and yet he's not defeating the tyrants. Verse 13. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into a web, and she made them as tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke from sleep, pulled away the pin from the loom and the web. Same story, third verse. Why is Samson playing? See, God's mighty deliverer seems punch drunk with, drunk with love or with lust, and he's giving clues as to where his source of strength lies. Now, again, the number seven is used, echoing the source of strength from the sevenfold spirit. So he's toying with them. He's giving them closer, closer hints here, and he gets to his head. But what is the, the head of Samson? Who is the head of Samson. Isn't the spirit the source of his strength? So when he gets to the head and the locks of hair, sevenfold locks of hair, he's closer. He's giving them really good clues. And so they look to Samson's head and his hair. He seems to be entertaining the plots of God's enemies, in some ways playing the harlot himself, sleeping with the enemy to satisfy his own Lust For the third time, he mocks his enemies, but before they come running after him, he does them no harm. He refuses to deliver Israel in order to keep the game going. In the previous two deceptions, Samson allows himself to be bound, but here he begins to fall asleep, an outward display of his spiritual condition. We have... Uh, Third deception, successful. A third day, which indicates what? There's going to be resurrection the next day, isn't there? There's going to be resurrection for Samuel or for Samson. But will Samson rise in vindication or condemnation? Verse 15, Delilah said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and you've not told me where your great strength lies. There's no secret what her plan is. Three times. This is the plan. And that she's pleading with him to share the secret. Verse 16. When she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death, and he told her all his heart. Said to her, razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak like any other man. 
Proverbs would have warned Samson that a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Left to his own devices, in his own strength, she wears down God's mighty warrior. That's what his name means, Samson, the mighty warrior. God's anointed one is perplexed unto death. You see, Samson is Israel's own story. You can't read the, the judges without seeing that they're representative of what Israel is to be. God's people failed throughout this book that we've been reading and studying. And throughout their history, they began to lust after what the surrounding nations had. They would bed down with their enemy and their enemy gods, their ritual worship. They would give themselves over completely to what the, their enemy nations had. And they would forsake the living God. And I think that's what we see Samson doing here. So that when future generations of Israelites are reading or hearing read to them the story of Samson, they would identify, yes, this is our story. Yes, this is who we have been as a people. Yes, this is who I have been as a child of God. So we have Samson laying down to sleep with his enemy. The sleep or a slumber of satisfied lust. His final woven tale strikes the vitals of his strength. Are we, God's people, asleep? Are we not vigilant, diligent to watch? God's anointed one has been set aside here since birth. A type of priest, a Nazarite, holy unto the Lord. Faithfulness to that vow throughout his delivering days in Israel was a continual act of faith. And what we have in chapter 16 is a continual disobedience. Now, we should be clear that strength did not reside in his hair. I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> or in his biceps or in his thighs. Time and again, the scriptures tell us that Samson is filled with God's spirit. That the spirit rushes upon Samson to deliver God's people. The shaving off of Samson's hair is not some magical debilitation here. Rather, it is the final straw of a long obedience, excuse me, a long disobedience in the same direction. He's moving always towards Philistia, ever away from God. His strength is the spirit as his head. His strength is not the hair on his head. Having received the silver, Delilah seduces Samson once again whose slumbering spirit is given over completely to his enemies. Look at the second part of verse 19. Well, verse 19. She made him to sleep on her knees. Then she called a man, had him shave off seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Lord had left him. The Lord has been patient and kind to Samson, these three deceptions here. The psalmist himself prays while confessing his sin. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He knew his hair was gone, but Samson did not know that the Lord had left him. Having abandoned God, 
God now abandons him. And he leaves Samson to his own devices. And he leaves Samson to his own strength. Verse 21. The Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza and brought him with bronze, and bound him with bronze shackles. Okay, they're like, okay, no more strings, no more of that. So bronze shackles, okay? And he ground at the mill in prison, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. This is a very fitting judgment for Samson. Throughout the story of Samson, it begins this way, and throughout, Samson sees something. It's pleasing to his eyes, and he goes after it. He sees a woman here, pleasing to his eyes, and he goes after her. But his sight, throughout his days in chapter 16 here, seems to grow dimmer and dimmer for God, for the source of his strength, while his eyes brighten for the enemy nations. So it seemed for every generation of Israel the worship of theirs was proper for a time, but then they begin to look lustily upon the way the other nations ruled, the way the other gods functioned. God's judgment remains the same for them as it did for Samson. If you look continually to worship other gods, you will lose your sight. You will become blind, and so the Philistines gouge out his eyes. If you want to become like Egypt or Midian or like the Philistines, ever at war against God, just know that God will give you over into their hands. You will be enslaved to lust as they are, and you will know the absence of the living God. You will not see his deliverance. That's the message for Israel from chapter 16 in Samson's life. But, verse 22, but... But the hair on his head began to grow again. There's just a little hint of hope here, isn't there? Just a little hint of hope. There's a, there's a whisper of redemption, which is heard. Verse 23, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice, to dag on their God and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. Why is that offensive to God? Who handed Samson over to him? Did Dagon? Did the Philistines? God handed Samson over to the enemies, and they are taking credit for it. A humble, obedient servant to the Lord is a dangerous weapon in the hand of an avenging God. Samson had killed many. The people confessed that. As the spirit was the head of Samson, so now the heads of the Philistines gather in the temple of their head, their God, who was Dagon. As always, the war is not between Samson and Philistine lords. The war is between Yahweh and the foreign gods, Yahweh and Dagon. And at this point, Dagon seems victorious. Dagon is the god of fertility, and he has conquered the enemy. Their greatest enemy is now made to serve this god of fertility as he grinds grain at the mill in prison. God's great warrior is now subservient to Dagon. Verse 25. 
And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. Samson refused to see God, so his sight was taken from him. He entertained the Philistines, and so he was made to entertain them even here. He was grinding, as it were, with Philistine women. He is now made to grind grain in the house of their grain-growing God. Weak, blind, pitiable, poor. God's anointed deliverer seems defeated. That Yahweh, it seems, has lost. Verse 26, Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. On the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on as Samson entertained. Temples were this way, in structure, huge pillars supporting as a foundation, a big roof. And on the roof would often be gardens where they would gather throughout the day and feast on the roof. 3,000 were gathered there. The sense, the sheer size and strength of Dagon's temple, the people in the temple, on the temple, trusted in the strength of their might, the foundation of their worship, the might of their God, the strength of their five lords, verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. I think we have a bit of Samson's repentance here. He can't see God with his physical eyes, but with eyes of faith, his sight becomes clear. Once again, Samson's faith is renewed, and his strength is given back to him by the Spirit. The battle belongs to the Lord. If you want a lesson for Israel and for us, the battle belongs to the Lord. 3,000 are on top of that temple, and there is one faithful to our Lord. Our Lord is quick to hear the prayer of confession. He is quick to forgive sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does the prayer of confession look like? Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. That's Samson's prayer. Verse 30. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. It's the, the gift or the grace of self-sacrifice. Continually through his life and ministry of judging Israel, Samson gave of himself for the good of the people. A big difference in chapter 16 is that we don't see him giving himself for the good of others or the good of the people to deliver Israel. He seems only to be satisfying his lust, his lust for war, his lust for women. Thus, the strength ever and always of God's anointed one is sacrificing of one's self. Here we see Samson's hair is growing back, outward symbol of an inward turn of faith and obedience being renewed through a life of repentance. It is only as Samson stops grasping after goods for his own good that the Spirit enlivens him once again. Again, unable to see with his physical eyes, Samson sees more clearly now through his eyes of faith. If only God would see him once more. Be attentive to me once more, O Lord. Strengthen him once more. 
then in his death, God would have great victory and, and Israel would be delivered once more. The offspring of Eve will crush the head of the serpent. More important than the number of 3,000 men and women here, who else was there? The five lords of the Philistines. Samson crushed the head of the Philistines. And not only their rulers, but what happened to Dagon in his temple? Samson crushed the head of enemy Philistia. The foundation of Israel's enemy crumbles under the weight of God's glory descending in his spirit. That's not a stretch, is it, to see Samson's life pointing to Christ as the true and final deliverer? Of course, Jesus' life and ministry was much different than Samson's, but we see that Jesus, too, was anointed with God's Spirit, that the Spirit rushed upon him, that he was sent, raised up to deliver God's people, that Jesus, too, was tempted in the same way that Samson was tempted three times here in our chapter, but he did not bed down with rebellious gods. But when he faced temptation, he said, what? Man doesn't live by bread alone. He says, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. He said, you shall worship the Lord your God only. Jesus, too, was taken captive. He also was betrayed by one he loved for the price of silver. He was blindfolded, beaten, mocked. And just when Satan ascended his unholy temple and all the demons roared in victorious laughter, Jesus ascended the cross with both hands stretched, feeling the pillars of Satan's kingdom. And there, as he commends his spirit to God, what was Satan's win now became instead God's great victory. In the death of his mighty anointed one, death itself has died. The temple leading people astray was torn apart. And the teeth of that roaring lion, Satan, have been crushed. We today are left following Samson's death as we read this in our passage, seeing his death, his deliverance of 20 long years, and at the end of Samson's life, you're left longing for more, aren't you? You're left longing for a better anointed one, a more permanent judge, a more exhaustive, more complete deliverer. And Jesus Christ is the true and better Samson. And that is good news, because like Israel, we too will play the harlot time and again, time and again. We too will play the rebel, rebelling against our holy and gracious God. But we stand in the, set of the, in the stead of the true and better Samson, because Christ has already crushed the head of the serpent. And Christ calls us now to live as his anointed ones. See, the church at Pentecost was lit aflame with the Spirit, to mop up the lingering enemies of God, to wage continual war against evil, and to call a world in sin to a life of faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. Church, as God's anointed ones, go out this week into your neighborhoods, your workplaces, your communities as descendants of God's mighty anointed ones. Obedient, trusting, faithful, and not fearing. For Jesus Christ, God's mighty anointed one, 
has defeated our greatest foe, has forgiven our sin, that we might serve him freely. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word, and we thank you for this life of Samson. We pray that we would see Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all that Samson is and was, that we might submit ourselves to him and to his leading. We pray your blessing upon us now in Jesus' name. Amen.